of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to him, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of, this, of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one in flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the, and the wife must respect her husband. What are the next couple of verses read, Catherine? Yes, I will. Oh. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Yeah, like, thank you. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> Thought that was ironic. We had Catherine read about husbands and wives. We should have got her next week when we're reading about children. Anyway, that passage was pretty clear, I think. We're all to submit to one another. Wives are to submit to husbands. Husbands to love wives because Jesus loves us. Any questions? We're done. As Warren reminded me, I'm here under the authority of my wife tonight and I have permission to speak. Um, Brendan over here is getting married in October. So I'll just... And I notice Wendy's not with you tonight. Um, well, it'll be recorded, but I'll, I'll preach a second bit to you. <laughs> we have many who are married here tonight, and we have many likewise who are not married and probably thinking about it. Um, so for those of you who are married, it'd be great to have a personal testimony. No volunteers. No, Scott, I know Joe told you to put up your hand, put it down. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, thank you for your word, and sometimes, Lord, there are phrases in it, turns of a phrase, concepts that stretch us, bamboozle us, others simply delight us. This is your word, and even before we understand it, we want to submit ourselves to it, grant to us an understanding, so that we may follow you intelligently and obediently. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Remind me at the end, before our closing prayer, to talk to you about Pastor Charlie, who is not with us tonight. Okay, will you do that? He's got a, a hospital visit tomorrow, so I wanted to tell you about that. I don't want to do it now. Um, I came across this quote from somebody else who got it from somebody else, who got it from somebody else, because I've read these sorts of things in books before. I'll take a few minutes to get through this. This is interviews that people have given to kids, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. How does a person decide who to marry? Alan, age 10. She'd find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she'd like it that you like sports and she should just keep the chips and the dip coming. (laughs) 
level of laughter. I'm sure that's going to decrease as we go on. Kirsten, who's age 10, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all beforehand, and you have to find out later who you have to stuck with. <laughs> what do most people do on a date? Lynette, aged eight. Dates are for having fun. People should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something interesting to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> Martin, that's a girl who's aged eight. He's got that attitude already. Martin, aged 10, he's got some youthful wisdom. On the first date, they just tell each other lies and they usually get them interested enough to go for a second date. Is it better to be single or married? Answer. Bible says both. It's commendable to be single. Jesus was single. Married is for those people who can't control themselves. It's a sign of weakness. That's what it's really about. That's what the Bible teaches. Anita, age nine, she says it's better for a girl to be single but not for boys. Boys, boys need somebody to clean up after them. Rhonda's going, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Kenny, age seven. It gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I just want to be a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. <laughs> Single or married, seven. <laughs> why does love happen between two people? Jan, age nine. No one's sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Um, Harlan, boy, I think, who aged, aged eight, says... I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something. But the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. Why is falling in love, what is it like, Roger, age nine? It's like having an, angel, an avalanche where you have to just run for your life. Greg, aged eight, love is the most important thing in the world. But baseball's pretty good too. <laughs> Nearly finished. Why is it okay to kiss someone? When is it okay to kiss someone? Now there's a topic for a Sunday night. When is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, when they're rich. <laughs> Kurt, who's age seven, is a little bit more cautious. He says, the law says you have to be 18. So don't mess with that. <laughs> Howard, who's aged eight, a bit more responsible. He says, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them. Have kids with them, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> because you kiss them. Jean, age 10, it's never okay to kiss a boy. They're always slobber all over you. Age 10, that's why I've stopped doing it. <laughs> How to make a marriage work. Ricky, this is the last question. Ricky, age 7, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> Do what you're laughing for. Bobby, age nine. Be a good kisser. That's what makes a marriage work. It might make your wife forget that you, never, you forgot to take out the garbage <laughs> trash. Or finally, Roger, aged eight. He says, don't forget your wife's name. That'll mess up the love. <laughs> what makes a marriage work? Remember your wife's name. Kids. Well, this passage in Ephesians, certainly a very 
well-known, it's very often read, and it's probably, of all of the marriages I've done, one of the most common passages that we read outside of 1 Corinthians 13. This one comes up all the time. On Monday, pastors get together, we have a meeting, goes for several hours and asks for prayer, and I said, I'm talking about marriage next Sunday night. Brendan's here, isn't he, somewhere? Is he? Oh, that's right. He's not here? Oh, good, because he's one of the culprits. Josh and Brendan together started telling me my marriage talk that I've done on Ephesians 5. (laughs) They start telling me the jokes and the triangle and if you do this and if you do that. I went, oh, looks like I had to get some new material. (laughs) Anyway, I get landed with this passage, which is God's word and it's a great passage. I have given this to all sorts of couples. I've been laughed at. I've been mocked. I've had one girl say to me, you're kidding Nope. Well, it says. You have to remember that God is all wise. He's all loving and he cares about us. So whenever he tells us to do stuff, it might sound bad or strange, but it's actually the best thing for us. Now, having said that, this word submission has received a whole lot of bad press and a whole lot of bad examples, hasn't it? There's been a whole lot of bad husbands and men throughout history who have abused it. They've become tyrants. You have to submit to me. They think submission is him sitting on the couch and... Bring me the chips. Bring me food. Yeah, that's not it. That's not what you're asked to submit to. A wife is being asked to submit to somebody, her husband, because he is a loving leader. Whenever he is being selfish, you don't have to submit to his selfishness. We'll come back to that. It's controversial and difficult and you've got to make serious choices. But I want you to notice something else. This passage that Catherine read to us is one-third of a passage that flows out of the previous command, which is back in verse 18, for us as followers of the Lord Jesus to walk in the light, to be spirit-filled Christians. That's the issue. That's the bottom line. That's relevant to all of us. If you know Jesus, if you name him as your Lord and Saviour, then you are to be a submissive, surrendered, fully committed, spirit-filled follower. That's That's normal. That's not the... Top-notch Christians, that's normal Christianity. For most of us, we probably live below that. We're all fallen, we're all sinful, we all mess up, we all get things wrong, we all take control of our life. And whenever we do that, we surrender the control of the Spirit. But every day the Holy Spirit comes and it's really let the Holy Spirit fill you. He wants to fill you, control you, work through you. So it's a matter of don't mess it up, don't get in his road, just surrender to him. Okay, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? And it's surrender. Francis Chan, I heard during the week, was asked a question, a difficult question about what do you say to um, people wrestling with same-sex attraction issues? How do you witness to them? What do you say? And he said, he begins with this. He takes a Bible and he says, do you submit to this? Because if the answer is yes, then okay, let's look at what God says. If your answer is no, I don't submit to this, well then, what's the point? I have nothing else to say to you. That's a wise answer, simple answer, but wise. It's all about surrender. It's all about submission to the creator, the all-wise one, who gives us specific instructions, which often goes against our will. Sure. So this passage is written to people in a church like us who are spirit-filled Christians And the outflow of that in your life, if you're following Jesus, Paul tells us, it's not about speaking in tongues and it's not about performing miracles and all other prophecies and dramatic things. He says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll speak to one another. You will 
have joy and you'll be singing in your life. Verse 20, you'll be thanking God. And verse 21, and you'll be submissive to one another. That's the marks of being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another, teaching one another, including one another. Singing, praise and thanks and hymns to God. Being thankful to God for all he's done for you. And an attitude of relationship. Submitting to one another, not asserting yourself. That's the outflow. We're all free agents. God has given us free will and he, doesn't, he will not contravene it, which is why he allows people to make bad choices and why he even allows people to do bad things for the moment. There will come a time when he, the sovereign Lord and judge, will call time out, that's it, and take us to judgment, take the world to judgment. But in the meantime, he has given us free will and he invites us, even as followers of Jesus, to make the daily voluntary choice to surrender, to submit as a follower. That has an outwork, not just in the church context, but also in all of our relationships. He talks about marriage at home, he talks about parents and children, and he'll go on to talk about masters and slaves. Marriage, parenting, employment. Being filled with the Spirit has an impact in all of these relations, and in each one of those, the word submit, submit, Submit. It occurs. To love, to love, and to love occurs. Because standing behind all of these commands and instructions to submit is the Lord. That behind the master stands the Lord. The slave submits to the master because he's submitting to the Lord as he follows him. A child submits to the parent. That's God's will and direction because behind the parent stands the Lord who expects a child to be submissive. A wife submits to the husband because standing behind him is the Lord and she is required and expected to submit to a loving leader. So what is submission? Well, simply it is a willingness to respond to another, to yield, not to assert yourself, not to hold to your opinions and defy the other, but rather to share your opinion and then to submit. Self is dethroned, it's voluntary. And the tense is very simply, it's continuous and it's voluntary. It's to be an ongoing attitude of submission. I must honour my wife, Rhonda. She does not have any trouble with submission. It's, it's almost part of her nature. She's one of those ladies whom God is... Is she always submissive? No. She's a sinner. She can be argumentative. She can be defiant, saying she's not here tonight. Let me tell you a few things. No. <laughs> she's not normally that way. And if I'm very honest, then I would say often she will get that way, either because of external factors have influenced her or because somebody else has influenced her. I know it's unbelievable, but sometimes she gets angry with me. No. <laughs> a shock. Oh, sorry. Well, you'll even be just completely gobsmacked by this. Sometimes I do stupid things. <laughs> Unbelievable. And she calls me on it. Um, she is a gift. And normally she does not have any trouble with submission. And she doesn't have any trouble sharing her opinion either. Let me show And they're not mutually exclusive. So we are to be spirit-filled Christians, as I have said. That's the first point. Let's move on. As spirit-filled Christians who are submitting to the Lord Jesus, who is the ultimate authority, 
Marriage is not the ultimate relationship or authority. Jesus is. Marriage is for this life. It's a marathon. It's long-term. It's for life. And it can be fleeting as well. I've been married 42 years. And it's like, like the Bible says, it's like a flash in the pan. It's a smoke that just got like vapor. It goes so quick. But Jesus is the ultimate one. And marriage, as I follow Jesus, then that's to be reflected in my marriage, in how I treat Rhonda, how, I, how she treats me, how we treat one another, and how we particularly lead and influence our kids. So it's in that context that Paul says, as a submissive, spirit-filled follower of the Lord Jesus, ladies, wives. And he is speaking specifically to married women. He's not talking to women. He's talking to married women. So there is a limitation because that is one of the distortions that people use. As if you read the passage, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves. See, it's voluntary. You do it. Submit yourselves to who? To all men. No, it doesn't say that. That's how some people read it. That's how some men think it. The passage doesn't say that. Submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. So Rhonda has to submit to me. Rhonda doesn't have to submit to Warren. Margie has to submit to Warren. Margie doesn't have to submit to me as a man. But this is where God in the Creator has instituted in society, for the good order of society, certain authority structures, certain areas of responsibility, and with responsibility comes authority. You're responsible to be doing certain things. So God is the ultimate authority, then he's given authority to governments. So we are, as followers of Jesus, to submit to the government. Because they are God's servants whom he has appointed to rule over us. And under the government, there are various levels of things, like there's the law and there's the police. You ought to submit to the police and their instructions. You can't defy and disobey them. There'll be penalties and so on. In the uh, work situation, then the boss or the employer is the one who has the authority and you submit to him. You follow his instructions or her instructions. And then it's uh, in the school, it's being submissive and obedient to the teachers, the principal. In the home, it's the husband is the head of the wife, but the husband and the wife are the head of the children. Come back to that. Children have to obey not just dad, but they obey mum as well, because they are one. He leads, she submits to his leadership, but they together form the, the rulers over the, over the children. In the church, God has appointed elders pastors. So you see, Margie has to submit to Warren as her husband, but Margie has to submit to me or the pastoral team because we're in spiritual leadership. Make sense? Submitting to the authority of another does not mean that they can give orders. It's not top-down authority. It's not top-down issuing of commands. It's not that. It's responsibility is given to lead that benefits those you are responsible over. Wherever leadership becomes selfish, listen carefully because you might want to talk to me about this one. Wherever leadership becomes selfish, you don't have to submit to it. So submitting wife to a husband, church to leader, uh, members to spiritual leaders, people to government, Whenever the government or the spiritual leaders or the husband gets off track, becomes selfish and focused and he's doing his, their own thing, then no, you're not required to submit to that. You're required, the wife, is to submit to a loving husband 
if he's a tyrant, there are certain other things to do. So I'll say it publicly. Men should never hit women. Never. No excuses, no reasons. Don't care what she does to you, don't hit her. That's just one of my rules that I haven't enforced. So if a wife comes to me and says, my husband is you know, mistreating me, hurting me, abusing me in some way, then I will tell her, number one, pack a bag. Number two, if you've got nowhere else to stay, come and stay with us. Number three, get legal advice. You don't have to submit to that nonsense. Make sense? So while wives are commanded to submit, it's to husbands who are loving leaders. And notice, I'll point it out again, wives are always told to submit all the way through the New Testament. It's to be an attitude that you are to have, that you are my husband, and therefore I follow you, I submit to you, I support you, I protect you, I do all those things. We're in this together. It's a team effort. Not to every man, but to your husband. It's voluntary. It's not slavery, it's not subservience, it's not top-down commands, it's not obey without question. It's none of that stuff. There was a mild-mannered man who was reading a book on becoming far more self-assertive and growing in his leadership skills, and he decided that he would start at home. So he stormed into the house one day, pointed his finger at his wife, always a bad start, and said, I need a drink to get through this. <laughs> From now on, I'm the boss around here, and my word is law. I want you to prepare for me a gourmet meal and draw my bath. And then when I've eaten and I've finished my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? She said, the mortician. <laughs> the funeral director. Good response, isn't it? It's not what submission is about. To submit means that you give yourself up to somebody. We submit to Jesus, we surrender, we give ourselves up to him. It's what the wife is to do with the husband. He's commanded to love. What's the difference between submitting and love? Well, they're not like that, they're like this. To love is to give oneself up for somebody. To submit is to put the will of the other before your will. To love is to put the needs of the other before your needs. You see this relationship? In my marriage talk, I talk about it's like a wedding. A slow dance. Not where you stand by yourself and jiggle to music. It's where you're holding a woman and dancing together. One leads, he, she follows. But it's smooth and it's beautiful and it's a tandem thing. And if he does it well, then she gets honoured and glorified. That's what marriage is like. It's this dance, it's this... Mutual relationship of caring for each other and one has the responsibility ultimately to make, to take the lead. Men ought not to expect or require their women to lead. God hasn't designed or required that of them. God has required the woman to submit to the husband's lead. And there are many marriages where the wife is far more intelligent and far more gifted and far more capable, but she still has to submit to her husband. She married him, so she takes all of her intelligence and all of her abilities and she still brings that into the relationship and she shares that with him and then she says, look, that's what I think, that's my best shot, bang. Decision's yours. If we don't agree together, I submit to what you're going to do. And what he must do is make a decision, not what's the best for him, but what's the best for them 
Or secondly, what's the best for her? Because he is responsible for her growth, her development, how God has designed it. <clears throat> Notice for the wife, I'm spending a lot of time on the wife, so I hardly have any time for the husband, sorry. It says that the wife is to submit as to the Lord. The same way you submit to Jesus, that's how you submit to your husband. It's a comparative. In everything, in every area, but not sinful areas. Because Jesus would never lead you into a sinful area. It's as to the Lord, as you're following him. It's a beautiful concept. It's a God-given concept. And the wives are dealt with in three verses. And then there are something like eight verses devoted to the husband. But half of those are also focused more upon Jesus than they are upon the husband. So it comes down to about four verses. And in this passage, husbands, you are to love your wives. And the word that Paul uses is quite shocking. You're used to it. But back in the first century, both in um, Jewish, Roman and in Greek cultures... The husband had not only a wife, but he would also have, you know, a mistress and he'd have somebody else and something that was accepted. And it was quite accepted. The husband was the dominating, domineering partner. It's quite an imbalance. Women were very much oppressed and they were treated like a, a possession. You're at the same level of furniture or a slave. <clears throat> and in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and liberates. And the word that the uh, Jews and the Romans, the Greeks use for a husband has to love his wife is the Greek word phileo, which means the same word for like uh, brotherly love, friendship love. It's at that level. Paul comes along, the New Testament comes along and says it's agape love. It's sacrificial love. It's the love you have for the supreme being, God. That's the love you ought to have for your wife. The way you love Jesus, love her the same way. That's it, raised it up. It's elevated it greatly. You're to love your wife, he says in verse 25. He says it again in verse 25, uh, 28. Love your wife as you love your own body. In verse 33, in summary. So husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. Love is the priority. Not headship. This passage talks about headship, but it just assumes it. Too many husbands want to assert I'm the head of the home. And then what that means is, I'm responsible before God for what happens in this home. It's about responsibility. It's not about authority in that sense. And being married is not about the husband's responsibility. It's not ultimately about provision. That's part of it, but it's not ultimately about that. It's quite possible that you could be in a relationship where she's working and you're not. But your responsibility is the husband still to be the head and still to love, as Christ loved the church. That's the more biblical concept. And love is possible because it's commanded. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. The feelings will follow the choice. So spirit-filled husbands, what are you to do? You to be the loving leader. Three loves. There's sacrificial love. Just like Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, so you are to serve and to care for your wife. She submits to your leadership. She denies herself. But you've got to die to yourself. You're the one who's responsible to take the initiative, to actively love your wife. So if you're married, guys, think about that. You're responsible to take the initiative. It's a sacrificial love. It's a sanctifying love. The passage does emphasise greatly how the Lord Jesus loves us, and I'll come to that in a moment. 
But just as Jesus loved the church, so we are to love our wives. And it's as he sacrificed himself, so we are to do the same. And he sacrificed himself, well, to save, but also to sanctify and to grow. That's our responsibility. If you're a husband, you are responsible to help your wife grow in Christ. Shepherd your wife and family. Pastor your flock. You need to be in the word of God personally. You need to be talking to her about what is she reading? How is she understanding this? You are to disciple her and your kids. That's your role as the husband. Question. Is your wife more like the Lord Jesus because she's married to you? Or is she more like the Lord Jesus in spite of you? This passage is saying you got to love her as Jesus loved the church and it's your responsibility to help her to become more like Christ, to be sanctified, to be cleansed, to grow, and so on. Sacrificial love, sanctifying love, it's also a satisfying love. At the end of the passage, the Apostle Paul says, we're to love our wives as we love our own bodies. <laughs> what does that mean? <clears throat> I love to cook, so I have very sharp knives. And because I'm an amateur, I often cut myself or stab myself. Without fail, I can honestly say this, every time I have cut myself, stabbed myself, I've cried a little, no, I have, I've put a band-aid on it. I've looked after it, I've washed it in the sink, I've got some cream, uh, antiseptic stuff and um, put a band-aid on it. Occasionally I've taken myself to the doctor and they've treated me and I have looked after myself. That's what it's saying. Just like I look after myself. When I'm tired, I go lie down and go to sleep. When I'm hungry, I feed myself. So as I look after myself, do that with your wife. Care for her needs and consider her needs. Make sense? It means you've got to know what her needs are. Means you have to be talking to her. And often what women like most, here's a secret for you, 42 years of marriage. What do women like most? Security, peace and companionship. There's a great book called The Five Love Languages. If you haven't read it, it's worth a read. You can probably get an outline of it on the internet. But it talks about here are the five common love languages amongst people. Which ones are yours? <clears throat> Spending time with somebody. That's how they receive the message of love. Giving gifts. That's my parents. That's how they used to do it. They used to give gifts. Words of affirmation. Encouraging, supporting, and so on. Personal touch. Whether it's a hug, it's a kiss, it's holding hands, it's rubbing the back, it's just that physical touch. Or it's acts of service. Which one are your five? Which one is yours? And normally we have like one is a big one and then you might have a couple of others on the shoulders. And as you age and stuff, they can swap around and change. And like I say to everybody I do this with, they are my five love needs. I have all five. I'm so desperate and needy. I'll take anything that I can get. It's quite interesting. Mine's very different to Rhonda's. Which means it takes effort to remember that I am doing to her or for her what is my love language. That's not her love language. And that she is giving to me what is her love language. Yeah, that's not my love language. You've got to know what each one of others is and be prepared to do it. Um, 
I won't name them, but I know a couple where she knew his love language. It's words of affirmation. And she would never do it. She thought he just needed to man up, grow up and toughen up. Why do you need somebody coming alongside to say how good you are or encouraging you or something like that? Isn't that cruel? Man. Finally, and time's gone. Husbands have to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to somebody who's treating you like that. That's not going to be hard. I think wives get off easy. Except men are sinful and selfish. Makes it tougher for our women. But through all of this, the Lord Jesus loves us and we are to submit to him. Let me read to you this from Spurgeon. He wrote, sort of, I've paraphrased it a bit. The most amazing thing under heaven is the truth that the Lord Jesus loves us. If a passage said that Christ pitied us, that would be understandable, we're weak and frail. If the passage said that he was kind and patient and compassionate towards us, then we could comprehend that. The almighty sovereign God is being gentle with his frail, weak creatures. But that Christ actually loves us, that's extraordinary. He actually likes us, us. Rebels, rude people, defiant, selfish If he smacked us and punished us, that would also be understandable because we deserve it. But that the infinite God loves, cares for and desires a relationship with us, we poor sinful creatures, inconceivable. Absolutely beyond understanding. So true, isn't it? You hear it so often, it becomes meaningless. But the words are beautiful. God loves, loves us. And because of his love for us and our surrender to him, then that is to overflow into all of our relationships, marriage, parenting, and work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for your word. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that as your Holy Spirit indwells us, that he might continue to fill us and shape us. Father, could you help the husbands to love their wives even more as the Lord Jesus loves the church? Heavenly Father, continue to assist our wives to submit in everything to their loving husbands. And in all of these, in this relationship particularly, may that be a demonstration, a model of Christ's relationship to the church. There's no way, Lord, we can do that in our own strength, so we ask that you might do it in us. For the glory and honour of Jesus, we ask. Everybody said? Pastor Charlie, tomorrow. Good on you, Katie. Pastor Charlie is uh, heading off to hospital tomorrow. He'll be in overnight. He has a procedure for which he will go under general anaesthetic. So please pray for him. It's about 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning he's having uh, this operation. Uh, And I think he's in overnight for observation because of the anaesthetic. I think that's why he's staying in for longer. Okay? Just wanted you to know that.